You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. This episode of the All Things Private Practice Podcast is brought to you by Embark EMR. Embark is a superb software solution for the solo practitioner as well as group practices. Embark was designed by therapists to be simple and intuitive without all the extra stuff that you don't need so you don't feel like you're being nickel and dimed. Embark enables scheduling with automatic appointment reminders, a note organization system with multiple pre-built templates, and an automated invoice and super bill generation to make it easier on your clients. There's even a patient portal where your client Clients can access notes, documents, and generate their own invoices and super bills. Embark EMR is setting a new precedent in EMR functionality and affordability. Embark's simple one-tier system is $20 a month per therapist, and there are never any extra fees. Try Embark EMR today with a free trial at EmbarkEMR.com. You can also use code ATPP for 20% off an entire year of Embark. Hey everyone, you are listening to another episode of the All Things Private Practice Podcast. I'm your host, Patrick Cassell, coming today from Asheville, North Carolina. I am joined by friend and colleague, Selena Hakis. She is a LMFT in California. She moderates and runs the Facebook group, Not Your Mom's Therapist, has a retreat in Mexico every June, and is just a really wonderful force in the industry. And Selena, I'm just really happy to have you on and glad we could finally make the time. Likewise. Thanks so much for having me here. Yeah, you're welcome. So today, everyone that's listening, I know you've realized that this podcast has transformed much more from private practice building and startup and more about entrepreneurial journey, failures, fears, insecurities, and really combating the status quo, especially when it comes to how do we show up within the community as an entrepreneur and really discussing authenticity. So Selena and I are going to talk about her journey out of community mental health and her experiences along the way that has kind of shaped her career. So Selena, take it away. Tell us your story. All right, cool. Um, all right, so if we start with community mental health. I feel like a lot of us start there. Um, you gotta get hours, all that kind of stuff. And something that really, I think, impacted me the most there, aside from the mountains of paperwork and not being able to humanly you know, complete what it is that they ask you for, is that I was the only person of color on a really small team in a predominantly Latino like area of LA. And so all of the families that we were working with spoke Spanish and I was the only person who could do intakes, who could translate. And so that we're not putting kids in this situation where they're trying to translate critical stuff to their parents that they don't understand. Anyway, so I'm on this team and, um, there happens to be, I'm really petite. I, uh, I'm like maybe five feet tall. <laughs> um, I like to say I'm five feet tall. <laughs> so I'm really small. I'm, you know, like a tiny brown woman. And there was this man on our team uh, that's just a giant old white dude. And it got to the point where literally in meetings twice, he would get so upset about feedback that I was giving like, if you can't communicate with those parents and I'm working with a sibling, transfer the family to me, right? Let Just let me talk to the parents let me talk to this family because I can't translate sessions for you. That is not my job to be a translator. We have a translation service. Anyways, he would get so upset about this stuff that he would start to literally yell and point his finger at me across like the conference room table. And I would just sit there like it, like somewhere in between, like mortified and then like enraged that everyone else just sat and watched it happen. And so the second time it happened, I actually got called in, um, you know, like to the principal's office, like I had to get a talking to because I wasn't being a team player. And I was so shocked. It was it was so disheartening and you know, you're already doing tons of work in community mental health. I was the one that was like holding the wait list, holding the 
all of the intakes because, again, I was the only one who could talk to the parents. And then doing stuff like translating or, you know, taking messages back and forth. I had so much on my plate. So to hear that I wasn't being a team player was just heartbreaking. It's like just crushed my soul. And in the midst of that, I actually started to get physically sick. And so I had to take some time off. I was kind of in and out of the office. It was a big like medical mystery. And um, I ended up getting a diagnosis, which was really, you know, at the, at the time, like just I, I cried tears of joy, like, okay, somebody believes me. Somebody is taking the time to figure out what's wrong with me. It's like a million blood tests later and being in and out of the hospital. So one of those times that I was really sick, um, this is the moment that I knew that I had to leave community health. Not the, not the other moment where I was Not Ill. when you're getting like screamed at across the room, your teammates don't defend you. It's blatant racism and like just completely unprofessional fucking behavior from this guy. Awful. So even at that, I still wasn't leaving. The thing that got me to leave was um, I was in the hospital. Like I called one of my friends that lived nearby. She's a coworker. She called in sick for me at work. She called and said, like, I'm here with Selena. We're in the ER. I'm going to be with her today. Like, we're, we both just can't come in. I'm sorry. And I got a text message, like, while they're trying to put an IV in my arm. Um, hey, Selena, I noticed, this is my supervisor. Hey, Selena, I noticed that the, your laptop isn't in the office, which means you have it at home. Can you please send in your productivity reports today? After somebody just said, she can't even call you. She's that sick. She's in the ER. And that was the moment that I realized like there is nothing I can do that is ever going to be good enough for these people. And they don't care about me as a human. They don't, you know, which I think was obvious by all the other behavior. But like this was just really like the last straw where I was like scared and sick in the hospital. And they cared more about the numbers than they did about about me. Right. Um, so that was the moment that I, I just like so, sort of saw the light and realized um, something that I say to people a lot is that leaving a situation like that is like leaving an abusive relationship. Like they have you to the point where you feel like somehow you need them. You need that paycheck. You need those benefits. You all this stuff. Right. And you feel like you can't leave. And that was the moment that I recognized like I was willing to risk all those things that they said that I needed from them, that I wasn't going to get anywhere else. And I had to leave. Um, and so everybody thought it was crazy. I had like no plan. I was just like, I'm not doing this anymore. Um, and it, I was on contract for some um, like loan forgiveness stuff. And so I had to call them and find out like, how do I complete this contract? And it was one of those things where I don't know if, if you or, or people who listen, like really believe in like, spiritual or metaphysical kind of things but it literally was like the universe saying like I got you like this is gonna be fine like the contract people were like you know what you're actually up um and the, it was in June you know, on the 30th of this month and that gave me two weeks to say like okay I just need to get this paperwork signed <laughs> and then literally the next day it was like and I'm resigning and <laughs> right like I got what I needed to get and then I just, you know, uh, let it go. And so everyone was really concerned, like, what are you going to do? And do you have another job lined up? And what's your plan? And I really honestly didn't have a plan at that moment. Um, I was able to like cash out PTO and use my savings. And the thing that I think I learned the most was that when we're holding on to toxic relationships or unhealthy patterns, you can't do a good next thing until you let go of the stuff you're hanging on to. And as soon as I let go of that job, all these other opportunities started popping up because people knew that I wasn't doing that work anymore. And so all of a sudden I was getting calls for like, there's a group practice over here. There's a school looking for an art therapist over there. Um, the rehab where I work at is, is looking for an art therapist. Like there were just th things, jobs I didn't even know existed. Right. And so I think that was the moment that I really felt like, oh, I can love what I'm doing and support myself. Like, I don't have to be bending over backwards, like killing myself, trying to do work for other people who do not care how I'm doing. Um, I can actually do what I love and um, and support myself. So there's a, a mantra that I'd say often that I learned from an artist that worked at a, at a residential that I used to work at. He would 
every time he got his paycheck, he would say, money flows to me freely and effortlessly. I make money doing the things that I love. And he would mm. say it three times. And so as I started getting these opportunities, I was like, this is my new mantra. Like all things related to work, to career, to money, it's going to come freely, effortlessly, and I'm going to make money doing the things that I love. And that's literally what I started saying on like job interviews where they were like looking for, there's like a school district looking for something. And they were really concerned, like, you understand this is just a contract job. You're just going to come in for X many hours, um, blah, blah, blah. And I said, yes, I, t I understand. I'm only doing things that bring me joy. I'm only going to uh, make money doing the things that I love. And so I did. And it was amazing to recognize, like, not to recognize, to experience that being a very real, tangible possibility, you know? And so that's how I kind of transitioned into private practice. I was doing contract work. I worked at a rehab, a hospital. Um, I think I worked at two rehabs, a school, and then I joined a group practice. And that's really where I learned, oh, I'd have to like learn some business skills, <laughs> right? <laughs> the things they don't teach us in grad school, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like I can have a fun conversation. I can, you know, help, you know. I'm sure it happens to you all the time. I like, I can't be on a plane and say what I do without having like a full session with somebody. <laughs> but people will find it out, right? Like they know, they fucking know. And then you're talking your ear off and you're like, I'm just trying to watch some Netflix and like not listen to you right now. Mm -hmm. Selena, yeah. I just want to name like that journey is so night and day, right? Like the fact, the fact that you were able to get out of that toxic, toxic emotionally and physically abusive relationship to the point where you're so sick that you're in the fucking hospital and they are still asking for productivity reports without a asking you how you're doing if you're okay mm -hmm. hey we've got you until you get back like we support you and that analogy right that comparison to an abusive relationship i use it all the time with my coaching clients of like security consistency i know what i'm gonna get and it's gonna fucking destroy me and if I can't get out of here, I've got nothing left to give. And then you start to think, I'll go bag groceries. I'll go fucking back to bartending. I don't care what I do, but I don't want to be a therapist anymore because this job fucking sucks. And what I'm hearing from you is being able to get out of that space and just knowing like I've got to go is so much different than some people who are trepidatiously like, okay, I want to do private practice. I'm going to plan for it. I'm going to do this exit plan. And then you were kind of forced into making that decision to save your life, it sounds like. Yeah, that's absolutely what it felt like. And it did. It was and it did. Me, right? <laughs> like, right. Like, what's actually killing me. And I'm sure it also felt like so bizarre and surreal. And even like, when is this going to stop? When does this like bottom fall out of like, I can actually enjoy my job. Like I can actually go to work and be happy wait, what? This is not what this is. This career is about. Like I'm supposed to be fucking miserable and treated poorly and paid poorly for the work that I've worked so hard for. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's like turning that belief on its head and it, imagining something that you didn't even think was possible. Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. Join this group practice and then you decide what I want to start a private practice, but I have to hone in some business skills. Yeah. Yeah, I think what happened was um, a couple of things. One was it was a group practice where I was a contractor, but they were really functioning a little bit more like employees. And so I'm sort of like a natural rebel and I'm going to like <laughs> push the boundaries sort of everywhere I can. And that was, you know, a tough fit. And then as I started to just learn like how they were doing everything, um, what billing looks like, what, you know, managing, a, a you know, books for each client looks like, all that kind of stuff. As I started to realize what it took, I recognized again, like, oh, I don't need you. I can do this. <laughs> this is the moral of the story throughout this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Just recognizing, like, again, like I have so many more options and I have I have so many more opportunities than I thought I did. And there was so much that I thought I couldn't do alone or just wasn't even possible. Like, that's just too much for me. I can't figure that out. Um, so I stayed there for, I think, like a little shy of a year, but felt like that's where I really learned like what it would take um, 
to be able to manage my own business. And then of course, like, you know, manage my own money, right? Not being like giving a certain amount for the overhead for the private practice and for the group practice and all that kind of stuff. And so I decided not to take insurance because there were so many delays with the insurance payment. And that was, I feel like that was a pretty steep learning curve, like going from a steady paycheck to sort of having an ebb and flow. And that was why I decided not to take insurance because I needed to have a little bit more stability and like idea of like what was coming in and what I could count on. And I felt like insurance for me anyways, made that impossible. Also, I have some self-diagnosed ADD and it's just super hard to manage that many things. It's a lot of paperwork. And, and like I said, I, I do push the boundaries sort of naturally. And I don't like the idea of like being audited and being, you know, limited in how many sessions I can see somebody for and like getting, feeling like I'm getting somewhere and then all this sudden like their authorization is up and like we have to stop like yesterday like all that kind of stuff just didn't sit with me really well it felt like it took some of the humanity out of the relationships that I have with my clients and so sure. from there I started one day a week just doing my own private practice like renting an office and then I did like a little a little like detour into doing some hospital work because that's really what brought me into being an art therapist is recognizing that like art can not recognizing I'm, I'm an, I'm an artist. And so the idea that there are institutions that recognize how, how healing art is, right? Like I know what's healing. Um, cause I've experienced that and that's sort of the way I live my life. But the fact that an, a hospital would hire an art therapist was just fantastical to me. And so I did that, but again, sort of like on my terms, I did it part time so that I could keep my private practice open. And, um, I, and, Again, like only did what I loved. I didn't, I was like, I'm doing art therapy groups and that's all I do here. (laughs) Don't ask me for anything else. This is what I've got, right? These are the days I can come in and really just like owning my life and owning my practice and my career. And so I did that for a while until it, you know, wasn't working for me and I really wanted to expand my practice. Um, I don't keep a wait list, but I was starting to have enough people that if I wanted to, I could have kept a wait wait list. Instead, I decided to just add on more days and expand the hours that I was providing in my private practice. And I found the coolest place in LA. that's like a holistic, um, healing center. Um, it's run by an acupuncturist. And so she has like body workers and Reiki workers and there's acupuncture and sound healing and cacao ceremonies. And I was like, you need a therapist. (laughs) I see there's something here that I could provide. And, and I felt like I fit. And so I started kind of became part of that organization It's called golden folk LA. And it's a really great place. And, and so I had, I've been there, you know, for a few years, except for the pandemic. So now everything's online. Um, But I'm getting ready to start doing in-person workshops outdoors with them. And, and then also, you know, gearing up for the retreat because it got canceled the last two years because of COVID. Um, so I feel like things are sort of falling back into place after, after, you know, three years of the pandemic. It sounds like your journey has, aside from the CMH piece, that has been so intentional and probably guided by such a desire to have the autonomy, the freedom and the creativity to make your own decisions and choices about how you kind of move in the world professionally, but personally too. And it sounds like you've really found that balance of like, I truly love what I do. And it's so sad that so often we talk to people who are like, I really don't feel that way. And it's really hard, like you said, to create that journey or path or even have the energy or the vision when we're working 40, 50, 60 hours a week and vicarious trauma after vicarious trauma and, you know, all the things we don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but it's really hard to see any sort of light at the end of the tunnel or anything that can be different. I remember when I left my community mental health job, I did not foresee myself sitting here talking to you on my own podcast. I just wanted to get the fuck out of my job. That was it. And, um, it sounds like your journey is very similar in a lot of ways. So 
you're in LA, you're working in this healing collective. You mentioned to me before we started recording that you're doing some indigenous practice in your in your therapy. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's really cool. And I think the era of psychotherapy is changing very quickly into no more all in on the CBT, Western civilization, culture, like bullshit, evidence-based everything. And we're moving much more into cultural practice. We're moving much more into authentically being who you are and how you like to show up in the world. And I love it. So yeah, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, thanks for reminding me of that and bringing it up. I appreciate it because it is so important to my work. Um, so it was, again, one of those like just serendipitous alignments. Uh, the same year that I left my community mental health job, I also met my spiritual teacher. Um, so she's a curandera in Spanish. That means healer. And so this is traditional indigenous Mexican spiritual healing and like holistic healing. So um, you'll find healers that, you know, do body work or healers that do herbal supplements and stuff like that. Um, so she does spiritual healing work. And that, that same year I met her and felt like, oh, this is why I felt like this, because the last member of my family, uh, the last living member three generations back passed away. And when we we were going, you know, through their things as people do, we found stuff that was my great grandmother's and a bunch of stories started to come up about how she practiced a lot of indigenous healing practices. So um, I feel like it's not a secret. A lot of Mexicans are Catholic. So my whole family is Catholic. Um, <laughs> And it was so interesting to hear that she had kept some of her traditions, even though she like, you know, went to Catholic mass every morning at dawn or whatever. And so these stories started to come out about how she did ceremony for the full moon, about how to um, imbue water with prayers and fi using fire for prayers as well. She had um, her own herbal garden and she like ran her own little like apothecary like all these stories started to come out and I was like shocked like how has nobody ever told me about this like no wonder I don't fit in anywhere <laughs> I'm supposed to be a witch <laughs> you know <laughs> um and so it felt so like I don't know uh validating I guess just that like I had I had always felt like a little strange and in that same year, I met my teacher and it just all felt like everything was falling into line. Like I was being able to like reclaim my family lineage, um, find someone who saw in me the, the possibility of, of someone who could learn. And so in the tradition that I'm training in, you have to actually put in work for three years before your teacher even can, like before you're even a a candidate to be accepted as an apprentice. So I, I, it was, you know, it's just up to me. Like, do I show up? Do I do the work? Am I there for her? Um, do I practice all this kind of stuff? And so some of it is like really practical learning because, you know, because I'm now the fourth generation away from those practices. And so it's relearning stuff there. There's protocol, there are rules, there's respect. There's a certain way that you give and take and that you honor exchanges between people. And she calls it like your grandmother's curanderismo. So like a lot of people might have had a grandma that would like, you know, heal you with an egg, like to get, you know, whatever bad spirits or illness off of you um, or use herbal supplements or teas or certain kind of baths, stuff like that. It used to be common knowledge for people and it's just been stripped away because of colonialism and you know religion and so many other things um and a lot of times like we weren't even allowed to talk about them because we didn't want to be persecuted in schools and in other public places so it's it that like journey aligned with like reclaiming this part of of my lineage my past and then just this sort of like permission to be a healer that is beyond like this diploma that I have that says I can be a marriage and family therapist, you know, <laughs> like really I, that's who I am and who I feel like now I can look backwards and see where that lineage comes from. And so that started to be the way that my, my practice built up. I had heard a lot of people say like, oh, well, you know, everybody has to have 
their nine to five and they just do private practice on the side. It's so hard to build it up and it's so hard to, you know, oh, you're not taking insurance. How are you going to get anybody that's going to pay? And so there's so much discouragement. And what I found was as soon as I started, like, you know, on your profiles, on the whatever thing that you're on, a directory and stuff, I just started sort of saying who I was like, hey, I'm studying this, you know, traditional uh, Mexican healing practice. I'm an artist. I'm a, I'm an art therapist. I'm Chicana. I speak mostly Spanglish. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is just who I am. And I was shocked to rec- like to find out there were so many people and, and it still happens all the time. Like, oh my God, I've been looking for someone like you. Oh my God, I've been looking for this. I didn't know it existed. I didn't know I could get therapy with someone who was also practicing these ways or who can help me to reconnect my lineage in this way. Because we all are trying to, I feel like collectively heal and return to more of that like reverence code is the way that I've been taught to understand it, right? So that we're in alignment and in reverence with the earth and the animals and the life around us, as opposed to the domination code, which is colonialism and, you know, basically just control. Um, And so it's just been like sort of like weird and like surprising and and amazing to just recognize like the more I show up like myself and just say like these are the things that I do um the more I'm able to really connect really deeply with people and also you know have a full practice and the thing that I tell people a lot is that like I was going to be a healer one way shape or form I just found my way here through academia um, which is cool because now I've got a license that, you know, you know, allows me to be able to help people. Um, but I was always going to do it. This is just the way I landed here because that's the system that we work in. And I'm not even mad about it. Like, that's fine. <laughs> you know, I can't change the whole system. But what I can do is help people reclaim the roots that it all really came from. And I can then translate in a different way. I can tell you. I can tell you how CBT is really um, aligning your spirit and your mind and your body and your actions, right? Like we don't have to dilute everything into like evidence-based, like, uh, you know, quantifiable statistics or whatever. Um, We can return everything to reverence and spirit and creativity and expression and do a lot of that like really deep soul work without putting ourselves in a little box you know just thinking very intentionally about how i want to respond because i think what you just said is so powerful and so necessary for people to hear one to break out of that box right to break out of that mold of this is how this is supposed to be done only cbt only act only dbt And we hear that, right, all the time. You and I both moderate Facebook groups. We know that therapists can kind of get into the shame slash ethical policing around those terms. And the fact that you found these stories from your grandmother and started to reconnect and then, you know, serendipitously connect with this healer. And like you said, I was going to be a healer one way or another. That really lands for me. And the fact that you are showing up authentically. I preach this all the time. Like if you show up with who you actually are, instead of who you think you're supposed to present as, you start to attract people who want to work with you because of what you're putting out into the world, because you're being bold, because you're doing something different, because you're standing out instead of saying the same things that everyone else is saying. And that doesn't land for anybody, right? So I imagine someone scrolling through Psych Today profiles or Therapy Den or Inclusive Therapist, whatever platform. They land on your page. They land on the stuff that you just mentioned that you write. Comparatively to, I'm a trauma-informed therapist who will walk alongside you. And I went to school here and I use these modalities and these interventions and I treat these diagnoses. And people are like, what the fuck is this person even talking about? Mm -hmm. And to land on pages, I teach all of my group practice clinicians this and everyone I do coaching with. You have to step into who you are and who you want to be. Because otherwise, you're just like everybody else and you're playing it safe. And I think we're doing it because we feel like that's how we're supposed to do it. Right. And the opposite is you're full. You may have a wait list. You may be able to you know, tap into the 
actual clients who you know you're aligned with. And I just think that's really beautiful that you're able to name that. Can I ask you a question? And I don't mean to put you on the spot, but how would you say, you know, reclaim your roots in Spanish? How, oh my gosh, that's a really good question. Um, reclamar sus raíces. So reclamar is reclaim and raíz is root. Hmm. Sounds like a really good program name for you one day to uh, incorporate into some coaching. Um, but I, I just think that your story is really beautiful and it's really wonderful that you've always kind of identified in terms of I'm going to be, I think you use the word rebellious, but more importantly, I'm going to be real. I'm going to be me. I'm going to move in alignment with my values and what I believe to be important for people to be able to heal. And at the end of the day, I think what that's what this is all about. The work that we do as helping professionals, we want to heal, but we also really need to be able to do it in ways that feel authentic to us. Otherwise, I think you do have these interactions that feel very artificial and surface level. And I just don't think those that's the way that we want to move in the world. And I like that you're a mold breaker too, because doing things differently is really crucial. And we need more and more people to step into that mindset so we don't have to continue this whitewashed healing modality of this is how things have to be done. Coming from someone who has the most privilege of all the privileges. So I, I recognize that too, but just the reality, right? Like what you're offering is so needed by the world and, and the people that you're serving. And I just want to give you a lot of credit for not only naming it, but I can tell how passionate you are about it when you're talking about it too. Thank you so much. There's something really special about feeling like you're really being seen. Um, I I don't know if you've uh, watched Encanto yet. Have you watched Encanto? So I like can't stop talking about Encanto. <laughs> like, My wife sings the fucking songs all day, every day. I think she has watched it at least 40 times. Like I hear that song in my sleep. Wonderful movie, but she is, it's nonstop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You're going to know it by heart, the whole thing from beginning to end. <laughs> But one of the things that I'm talking to a lot of my clients about is like, there's so many parts of it that really hit home, especially for, you know, Latinx families. But the thing that I think the main character has that starts to show how she's healing the family is that she gives everybody a chance to be seen. She's like she's the one on the outside that everyone can actually say, this is how I really feel, right? This is what I'm showing everybody, but actually... I'm scared that I'm weak or I would love to be prickly sometimes. Why do I always have to be so pretty and soft? And I think that that just that is really, really healing in and of itself. So to feel like I'm just telling you my story, but you're really getting it uh, is really special to feel like I am being seen. And there is like a validity to this experience and that I'm not the only one that goes through that experience. You know, we're never alone in it. As as lonely as it can feel sometimes in those moments where you feel like you're trapped, you know? Couldn't have said it better myself. And can't wait for my wife to listen to this episode so she can come into my office and be like, told you this movie is the fucking shit. Um, <laughs> but you're so, it, you're right. It, it's such a wonderful, wonderful representation of healing family trauma as well and intergenerational trauma. And I have been watching Brooklyn Nine-Nine nonstop. So I keep thinking about like Stephanie, like Beatrice's character and as Rosa comparatively. And it's just, it's really amazing to witness both um, uh, portrayals. But, you know, I think what you're saying is really important. And I think that by being seen and showing up and taking up space, that is leading the way because a lot of people don't think that they are allowed to do that or are capable of doing that. Or like you said, Maybe people feel that way, but they can't put a voice to it. They can't put a name to it. They can't say it out loud. So I just want to give you a lot of credit again for doing what you're doing. Um, real quick before we kind of talk about what you're offering, you know, especially your uh, Mariposas retreat, um, misconceptions about practicing this way that you see a lot of in the therapist world. Misconceptions. Okay, so I feel like the one that comes to, the, to, to mind the most is... Um, not being on insurance panels. I feel like people can get real heated about that. Um, and I get it, right? I did community mental health and there was a time in my life that I thought I would never leave community mental health because I want to be in that community and I want to be part of it and part of the healing. Um, so I feel like people assume 
that like we're just in it for the money or that we're charging exorbitant amounts of money for sessions that then make it inaccessible for other people um, that maybe, I don't know, if truly need it, but but like also need it and don't have the mean. I think that's a big misconception or and the misconception that like you have to take insurance, otherwise you won't find clients. Um, so I feel like those kind of go hand in hand. And um, I feel like, yeah, I don't know. Um, my answer to that is, is like, we'll try it. <laughs> you know, um, I feel like I can be because I am in charge of my own income. I can be creative about how I make sure that some things are always accessible to people. And it's really amazing because honestly, the people that come to me that are like the most interested in um, being able to blend traditional indigenous healing practices with their therapy or any other kind of spiritual practice with their therapy, um, those are the ones who understand that's what I was talking about before about relearning, like what are the rules, what's the protocol, what is an exchange, what is, you know, what do you do when someone's offering something? And so they're the ones that are understanding that stuff like on an energetic level. And they're those are not the people that are going to ask me if they can pay 10 bucks because that's their copay. You know what I mean? Like right. they understand the energy that it takes to do this work. And that fact that I'm not just bringing you my degree and an hour's worth of my time, I'm bringing you my life experience, my my spiritual training, um, and and like my heart. You know what I mean? And I can't tell you what that's worth. <laughs> and those are the people that really, really honor that exchange and don't have any qualms about it. I I use um, not necessarily a sliding scale the scale, but um, I do have reduced rates available for people. And so I, it's just like on the honor system. I, I tell them like, you know, this is the price, whatever that is, it changes. Um, and, you know, what would be sustainable for you? Because the most important thing is for you to commit to something that you're going to be able to sustain long term until you're ready to move on. And so I feel like giving people that agency over their own commitment over their own healing and how they get to participate really creates like right out the gate um, a, a relationship of trust and reciprocity. And so people give what they can. I've had some people ask if they can give me more than what my, you know, rate is because they understand the way it sort of all comes out in the wash, you know, and then doing things like the retreat. And I also have like a Patreon project. And I partner with like nonprofits in the area. I do a lot of other things that are either free or super low fee so that I am, I'm still very active in the community that is important to me and I'm accessible to the people who, who need it. And then also the people who have means to give more, like it's, it, it all sort of like evens out. And, and I really do feel like big pharma is not out to help heal people. And so... I, I'm, you know, I just don't buy it. I don't think that the insurance companies are really there to help us out. And I explain this to people, you know, when they come in and they're, uh, they have questions, you know, why don't they take their insurance? And I talk to them about that because then the insurance company could come in and say, well, I, I gave you this diagnosis and this diagnosis only affords you to have this many sessions. Or if you have this many sessions and you still need sessions, now I have to refer you to a psychiatrist because now you need medication or, I didn't give you like um, the right diagnosis for, you know, whatever. I don't know. There's so many hoops to jump through. And I just remind them, like, I want to work for you. I don't want to work for a big company that's trying to make the most money they can. I want to do what you need. And if that means that we do need to get a treatment team together for you and refer out and maybe even find someone else or, or other modalities for you, I'm here to do that too. It's not about me just, you know, building my own little empire. It's about me helping each person the best way I can. And so I feel like in that way, um, it sort of challenges that misconception that like we're we're only being like healers if we're being selfless and subjecting ourselves to like the things that, are, you know, don't serve us and, and are really challenging and, and I feel like mostly um, toxic. I don't know, I know that's a loaded word, but. 
No, I think you, you know, that response is really perfectly said. And I have a couple of thoughts. Um, one, I think when you're able to do the honor system situation, charge your rates, right? Talk about why people value it. It's, we can never put a value, right? Like I always hear charge what you're worth. How the fuck do we put a price on that? And, yeah. you know, ultimately I imagine that for the clients you work with who are paying what they can, they're still very much quote unquote, your ideal clients, like the people who really respect the, re the way you work and vice versa. And I think that makes it way more fulfilling and they get a lot more out of it and are a lot more invested. And then, like you said, coming out in the wash, right? Like, and I think a lot of clinicians lose sight of the fact that you can do helping work outside of the therapy office for low cost ways, not, you know, giving away time, whatever the case may be. Hell, if you wrote a workshop or a workbook that cost $5 on Amazon, but helped people who couldn't come to therapy, you're helping. So I think we need to lose that like greed slash capitalism mentality of if you don't take insurance, you're a horrible human being and you don't care about the community because that's simply not true. And like you said, Big Pharma is not here to help us. The insurance companies are really not here to help us. They made $7 billion last year, $7 billion. So I don't want to get heated on this topic. Maybe this will be a topic for a different day. But ultimately, I really respect what you're saying about this because I think it means that people really do honor the fact that you are putting your heart and soul into this and that this is so much more than just one-on-one -on -one talk therapy for 60 minutes. Right. And I think that's really important to remember at the end of the day. And I do think that if you can have a fee scale that you can comfortably talk about and have enforced, it allows you to have more energy to put into other passion projects as well. It allows you to show up more authentically, more rested, more attuned for the clients on your caseload, instead of feeling like I've got to recreate my agency environment and see 40 clients a week to survive. Right. Yeah, absolutely. There's such a big part about it being sustainable on our end, right? Like we're we're not like whatever therapy machines, robots, um, and and it, I I don't do anybody any justice. I can't remember now who asked me, but um, somebody it might have, might have been my dad that was like, "You only work three days a week. Like, don't you need more money?" It's <laughs> like, well, I could, right? I could take I could see 40, 50 clients a week. But I, I wouldn't do a good job. I don't have like the bat, the emotional, mental bandwidth to actually help that many people and do a good job. I would be fried. And absolutely, and I would rather put that into other community projects that bring me joy and are life giving. And I feel like I'm contributing rather than like run myself ragged doing as many possible you know sessions as I can. It that's not sustainable for me. It's not, it's not only not sustainable for you, it's also doing the client a disservice. And I think we lose sight of her that as well. So really good stuff today, Selena. I've enjoyed this quite a bit and I'm really looking forward to airing this because I think that you've made so many good points in this episode that I hope people can really absorb and listen to and take in and start thinking about how they want to show up, not only professionally, but personally. And how, if those two things are aligned, your career is going to feel a hell of a lot more fulfilling and joy-filled. Um, I know you, I know you have a retreat in June and I want you to just kind of plug it because you've worked hard for it. And like you said, it's been canceled two years in a row. So tell the audience where they can find it, if they want to join, what it's about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, thanks so much for that space and time for this. It's called Mariposas Retreat. So that's just the Spanish word for butterfly. Um, because one of my favorite quotes is just when the caterpillar thought the world was ending, it became a butterfly. So I really love the idea that we have to sort of let go of one life um, to gain a different one. And I feel like in ways that's been my story um, over and over again. So um, it's usually, it's always in Mexico. I'm, I'm working on maybe doing like a LA based one at some point, but I'm, I'm, not, I'm not, I haven't put that together yet. Um, so this year it's going to be in Troncones, Mexico, and it's a really small, very rural, actually surf town. And so they have some really amazing like boutique hotels next to um, like, like really, um, like it's just a really little local town. There's like, you know, they, they sustain themselves with like fishing. There's a guy that his whole job is just like every morning he goes and dives for oysters. <laughs> like that's that's how life is here. Um, a lot of the homes and the restaurants even 
are still using like wood burning stoves there. It's not very developed. And I think that that's something that's really important um, for us. It isn't like this glamour um, extravagance. It's more about, again, like coming back to our roots, like coming back to the earth, to the water, to the jungle um, and being able to be where you are without all of the noise of the city, you know? Um, so what it's a blend of there's art therapy, there's some, um, I mean, just the way that I work is sort of like spiritually oriented. So there's a lot of that. Um, I don't know how to be a like positive vibes only, um, super inspirational, (laughs) like, I, I don't know how to do that. And so there is a lot of shadow work. There's a lot of tough questions and time to create or to talk. We do um, a a nightly platica, which is like um, an indigenous talking circle, which is sort of like group therapy, but uh, with a little bit of more structure. Um, And so we do that. There's a yoga deck, like right, um, like, I mean, like a few feet from the ocean and a bonfire and there's a private cook that like does their own home cooking for us the whole time everybody well not everybody there's there are options for private room or shared room we're about halfway full right now so there's still some spaces and the whole premise of it is really trying to create an experience around the idea that I call soul care and um, for me I I think soul care is different than just like self-care in that is because it, it involves other things. So it involves having community around you, um, doing something that gives you a sense of purpose, practicing life-giving activities so things that help to energize you and make you feel alive. And then also being of service in some way, shape or form. And so the full retreat is really built around that idea that we're creating community, that we're finding our purpose, that we're doing something that's life-giving. So maybe we're going to go on a bike tour in the jungle or... Um, I took surf lessons last time I was there and found out I can surf, <laughs> right? Like I would, I, I actually like, I don't like to swim. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that was like, it's, it's just like the novelty of being able to try these different things. And at the same time, we have space to like be creative, to paint. Um, we usually do a few different things. One thing that we've done in the past is make, um, like our own little, um, like a, a like a spirit doll, not like a voodoo. We're gonna do that <laughs> <on> people doll, <laughs> but an external like a symbol for our spirit and how we care for her and what she needs and what hurts she's held for us and what parts of her have have been lost to trauma or other things in our life and how we call that back and really take care of our soul in this way so that we we incorporate our whole selves in our everyday life. So we do yoga, we do meditation, we do art. Um, there's a beach, obviously. <laughs> Is that obvious? There's a, It's on the beach. <laughs> um, you can go horseback riding on the beach. Like it's just a really beautiful place. And um, we're, this is the first time we're holding it at this location. But it, it's oh the program itself is usually um, really really similar to the years before, and I was super bummed out that we weren't able to do this. You know, the last two years I've been doing it since 2016, and so I'm really happy to be bringing it back this year. People are still you know concerned about COVID and the pandemic, and that's something that um, that you know this town is so small that they really. Um, sorry, I'm realizing I'm talking a lot more than I thought I was going to about this. <laughs> I'll tell you just really quickly, like the town relies on their um, their fishermen um, for income. And then tourism is the other thing that they rely on. And so they want to keep us safe. And so they've got protocols about, you know, masks wearing and cleanliness. Um, the other cool thing is it's a tropical place. So almost everything is outside anyways. Because <laughs> if you're a few feet from the beach, why not do everything outside? So all the community spaces are open air and that helps me feel like um, it's a little bit more comfortable, safer. We're not like, you know, in tiny little rooms enclosed and breathing each other's germs and stuff like that. We have <laughs> to um, get COVID tested to get back on the planes home. And so they actually provide someone there at the hotel to do the testing. 
and give us all our results and things that we'll need in that way. And so it really makes me feel confident that we're going to be able to help people heal and have a really spiritual and fun experience while still feeling safe about traveling. Because, you know, things are weird now. It's just different. That sounds amazing. So if you, you know, are thinking about going on a retreat, if you want to travel, if you want connection, if you want to heal, if you want to have this wonderfully beautiful, intentional experience and cultural immersion, it sounds like this retreat is for you. And where can they find this if they are interested in registering or signing up? Oh, yeah. It's mariposansretreat.com. I will have that in the show notes for everybody. So don't worry about any of that if you want to find that information um, and book a spot for the June retreat. I think that sounds absolutely incredible. Hell, I want to go. Um, And Selena also moderates the Not Your Mom's Therapist group. Really cool group, again, for outside-the-box thinking. Um, a little bit more real than a lot of the therapist groups that are out there. And I really respect the hell out of it. So Selena, thank you so much for coming on here and just making the time. It's really been a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you. I, I really, really appreciate this and the way that you, um, you know, we're talking about moderating groups. Like I really love the way that you run your group and the fact that you're highlighting um, just people in our community, right? And like being, allowing the space for us to be real about what, experience is like what the field is like and even though we're really far away we've only ever met like through a screen it's really cool to feel like I'm part of this community right that we're sort of like building this together and so I really appreciate the work that you do the podcast the groups all of the coaching you know I see the way that you show up and you're always really supportive and I really like that so I'm happy to be part of this thank you Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate all of that. I really do. And if anyone wants to find more of me, you can go to allthingspractice.com, like, download, subscribe, and share. And if you want coaching or retreats that I'm hosting, my website's All Things Practice and my Facebook group is All Things Private Practice. See you next week. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.